Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. So, happy Mother's Day to all you great mothers out there. I'll always be grateful for my mother. It's the only job for life that you don't get paid for. And it is a job for life. I was never too old for my mother to tell me to wrap up warm, put my gloves on, make sure that I came home. She always wanted to te- me to text her when I'd been to visit and I got home, even though I was been looking after myself for years. So... Let's remember mums today, make them feel special. Everybody had one, and so therefore we need to thank God for mothers who care for us and look after us when we're so vulnerable, we can't look after ourselves. And if for no other reason, if your relationship has gone sour, for no other reason, just thank God that somebody gave birth to you and loved you and cared for you. Um, I will always be grateful for my mum, because I wasn't always good. I know that will surprise you. (laughs) I was horrible. Anyway, until God rescued me. So, um, this series, uh, the I Am series, is um, is very exciting. Excuse me. And um, as I've thought about it, and as I've listened to the guys, it's really challenged me to a deeper walk with God. Because these seven statements that Jesus said about Himself, they speak about His uniqueness. They speak about His divine identity. And they speak about his purpose. So there's a lot in these seven statements. And the, what, the one I want to speak about this morning speaks about the purpose of God and the purpose of Jesus and why he came. So let's have a look in John. Uh, we're going to look at, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he said. I know my own sheep and they know me. And just as my mother know, sorry, Got my mother on the brain now. No. My mother did know me only too well. <laughs> that was the trouble. <laughs> um, <clears throat> just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrificed my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold, and, and I must bring them also. Um, And we're here, he's talking about the Gentiles because he was talking to the Jews. So he's now um, saying that he's going to be bringing in the Gentiles. I must bring them in also and they must listen to my voice and they will be one flock with one shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd and so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's only working for the money and he doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. These are the two verses that I want to really focus on this morning because this is about the purpose of Jesus. And in these verses, Jesus is describing, not just describing himself as a shepherd or even a good shepherd, he's describing himself as the good shepherd. 
because he's contrasting himself to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day who also thought they were good shepherds. But that word in the Greek, good, is kalos, and that means noble. It means um, wholesome or beautiful. It's about an innate goodness. So what Jesus was actually saying is, I am goodness, I am righteousness, I am beauty. This is what makes me up. If you were to slice me down the middle, this is what you would see. Jesus was talking about himself. Those virtues were who he was, and that's what makes him the good shepherd. He wasn't trying to be righteous. He wasn't trying to be noble. He was those things, and therefore that set him apart from those religious leaders of the day who thought they were good shepherds, but actually they didn't really care about the sheep. And as the shepherd of the sheep, he's the one who protects, as Vlad spoke about last week. He's the one who guides and he's the one who nurtures the sheep. Jesus used this analogy because people in those days really understood about shepherds and sheep. They uh, They were many shepherds themselves. And people would have understood the utter dependence that sheep had on shepherds. So if a shepherd were, sorry, if a sheep were to roll over on his back... Uh, unless somebody helped a sheep to get up, and we know that, you see sheep in the field that are rolled over, unless someone helps them to roll back up, they cannot get up again. And they will stay on their back and they'll die. And, and a shepherd, a sheep is totally and utterly dependent on the shepherd. So <clears throat> we know they also would have known that a sheep would respond to a shepherd's voice. And so even if there were loads of different sheep mixed up in the pe- same pen, When the shepherd called, only those that recognised his voice would come. And therefore, those who didn't would stay behind. And that's why a thief has to steal the sheep. Because um, a sheep, if you heard the voice of a thief, would not respond. Because the sheep only responded to the voice of their shepherd. And so if a wolf came in to scatter the sheep, then the shepherd would obviously, as we heard last week, would lay down across the gate and defend the sheep. But also he would be able to calm the sheep because the voice of the shepherd was what the sheep responded to. They learned to recognise his voice and the shepherd was there to look after, to care for, to nurture and to manage the flock. And we also know that in those days the owner of the sheep was not always the shepherd and therefore um, but they were still expected to lay down their life for the sheep we know that David he cared for his father's flock but actually he fought the lion and the bear didn't he he didn't run away he was there to protect the flock so I want to just look at these couple of um, these couple of verses this morning because it really boils down to one thing The whole purpose of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was for relationship. There are so many other things that we have in our life, but the bottom line is, is relationship. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I will sacrifice my life. He sacrificed his life for that kind of a relationship. And as I was pondering on this this week, it's almost left me speechless. As I've sat and pondered that Jesus sacrificed his life in order that I might have the same relationship with him that he has with the Father and the Father has with him. 
Just think about that for a moment. How far removed is that from our relationship with him? Jesus is desiring that he sacrificed his life, he shed his blood and died on the cross so that we could have not just any old relationship with the Father, but that we could have the same kind of relationship that he had with the Father and the Father had with him. And if you just sit and let that kind of marinate on your heart, that's quite incredible, isn't it? That kind of intimacy. How different would our lives be if we had that kind of relationship? It would be very different. How different would the world be if we had that kind of relationship with the Father? Because God only does things in relationship. And therefore, whatever God is going to do in the context of BCC, he's going to do it out of the relationship that we have with him. And if you look back through history and if you look back on great men and women across the times who have been involved in a real move of God, it's come out of their relationship. It's come out of their knowledge of God. It's come out of their walk with God. And that has a price. There's a price to pay for that. To have this kind of relationship with God, there's a price to pay. In the same way that, or in fact not such the same way, but similar, do we have relationships with each other? The depth of the relationships we have with each other will only come out of the context of the amount of time we give to it, won't it? You might think you know me, but if you don't spend much time with me, you only know about me. And many people only know about God. They don't know God, they only know about God. And therefore, if we want to really know God... He starts by saying he knows us and he does. But he also says that we will know him and that depth of relationship that he wants. And the whole idea of knowing God is backed up in the scriptures. It says in John, now this is eternal life, that they know me. Not that they know about me. You know, we can be a believer, we can be a Christian, we can say that we've got a belief in God and we can have a commitment to come to church and still not know him. You could go up the high street this morning and you could ask two or three hundred people and you could say, do you believe in God? And they'll say, yes, they do believe in a God. They believe in something. Um, and, but they don't know the God. They know about God. They have some kind of um, a belief in a God. And there are many, many people sitting in church today that will tell you they believe they've got a commitment to go to church, but they have no relationship And God wants relationship. God wants relationship with us. This is eternal life, he says, that they know me. Philippians tells us that they may, uh, when Paul cried out, that I might know him. And not just know him, but know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He says in Timothy, I know the one in whom I have trusted in whom I have put my trust. And this kind of knowing is linked to understanding and it's linked to knowledge. It says in 2 Peter, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God. So here it's implying that you won't just have a bit of knowledge about God, but that you'll grow and grow and grow in your knowledge of God. So how much time and effort do we put into growing in our knowledge of God because the knowledge of God comes through the word and the amount of time we build into knowing God through his word and understanding God 
it will change us into his image. The more we read about something, the more we line our lives up with something, the more it actually becomes part of who we are. I remember thinking back to when I first became a believer and I remember thinking about how I didn't have to give up anything in my life. Everything just changed. It morphed. Because as I began to read the word more and as I began to understand God more and I began to desire it, my life moved towards it. And so the things that I had in my life before, I just had no desire for. It was an easy transition, if you like, because this excited me so much, I wanted to walk towards it and to move towards it. And the more you have, the more you want. And the more knowledge and understanding. Life is easy if you start to embrace what the Word of God says and you start to walk it out in your life. And then we suddenly find, hey, I'm not the person I used to be. Because the word of God is actually living and active and it's done something in our life. Many of you know I was lived overseas for about eight years and when I came back, I wasn't the same person. And my family said that to me, you're not the same person who left. Why wasn't I? Because this had changed me. This had changed me. And because I didn't have my family around me when I was living abroad, this was my family to me. This was everything to me. All my answers had to come from here. And therefore, when I came back, I was more like this than I was when I left. And, and we need to be sure that we um, feed ourselves with the knowledge of God. And church history, if you look back down church history, we focus so much on faith that we don't think that knowledge is a part of faith. Yes, I can walk by faith. I can trust God by faith. And people have said that faith is about trusting without reservation. And it is. But I've got to know in whom I trust. I've got to understand and have the knowledge of God to know who I'm putting my trust in. And then my faith will be joined with my knowledge and my understanding. Now, knowledge on its own is no good because then you'll only know about God. It's knowledge and faith together will help us to know God and to understand God. So ponder this. Do you really want to know God in the way that he wants us to know him? And where in your life are you in terms of knowing God? You could be sitting here this morning, you could have been in church as long as I have and still not know God. It's about relationship. It's not knowing about him. So if we don't know him and we don't have that kind of relationship with him, where do we stand? And Hosea says this. He says that my people are being destroyed or perishing because they don't know me or for lack of knowledge, it says in another translation. And it says in Proverbs that we will cast off restraint and turn our backs on wisdom. So if we're not moving forward in the knowledge of God, there's no stationary position as a Christian. If you're not moving forward, then you're actually slipping backwards because there's no kind of, well, I'm just going to sit like this for a while. Because if the word of God is not shaping you, something else will be. In the same way, if you're not shaping your children, somebody else will be. If we're not shaping our lives and if we're not intentionally moving forward in, in, in shaping our lives, then something else will shape our lives for us. And so Hosea and Proverbs tell us that if we don't have the knowledge of God, then we'll start to, to perish. And how will we start to perish? We will start to cast off restraint. And, that, and then we will turn our backs on wisdom. The worst thing we could possibly do is turn our backs on the wisdom of God. 
But actually what's happening is other things, wolves are coming in and clamouring for our attention and clamouring for our affection and turning us away from knowing God because of it's not compatible. And why did Hosea say this? He said this because God, if you read the book of Hosea, um, God had told Hosea to marry a prostitute and he told him to do that because it was representative of the relationship that Israel had with God at that time. They were prostituting themselves to idols and, they, um, <clears throat> and, and God was using this as an illustration. And if we bring this into um, the New Testament, in Romans it says, for although they knew God... So he's talking to people who knew God, talking to believers, talking to you and me. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. Um, but, their in, but their thinking became futile and their hearts foolish. Sorry, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for the immortal, uh, of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal be- human being. And... Um, birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Uh, Amen. So Paul is saying here that when we set up an idol, It's not just about something else in our life clamouring for our affection or clamouring for our attention. When we set up an idol in our life, we actually assign the glory of God to it and therefore expect it to still have power for us to influence. So we actually set up a God of our imagination. Instead of knowing the truth about God, we set up something in our lives which we think is God because it's been influenced by other people, it's influenced by our knowing about God and therefore we expect that thing to perform in the same way as God. And so think about Moses when he was up the mountain and the children of Israel made a golden calf and they worshipped that golden calf. What they had done was, they had said, God is up there, Moses is up there, we want some contact, we will make this golden calf, this golden calf will represent God, and we have the same expectations that this golden calf will perform as God did. Can a golden calf have power? No, it's just a lump of gold. It had no power at all. Think about the situation um, of Elijah up on the Mount Carmel with um, the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And they set up their altar, didn't they? And the prophets of Asherah and Baal called on their gods for days and day and night to consume the offering. Did it happen? No, because there was no power in the idols that they were worshipping. And yet when, when Elisha called upon God immediately, the offering was consumed and that's because there is power in the true God. We can assign power to other things, we can set up other things and it has no power but we've assigned power. We have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and we've become deluded. I hear many people say, oh God hasn't come up for me or God has let me down or God hasn't done this and God hasn't done that and everything they're telling me is totally uncharacteristic of the God I know. It's because they're talking about a God they've created. 
We can create a God of our imagination when we don't know God. And we need to know the true God. We need to know the truth about the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sake of a relationship with us so that we could know him. And we need to know who it is that we think we know. When Elijah was challenging... Oh, sorry. So why am I saying this? Is because without the knowledge of God, it will keep us from knowing and we will start to perish and we will start to um, exchange the truth of God for a lie. So if we go back to the original, if we go back to the original scripture, which says um, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd and he really doesn't care about the sheep. No one but God really cares about us. I'm not talking about your mothers. No. <laughs> Nobody but God really cares about human beings. Now, people, of course, we care for each other, but I'm not talking about in the natural. I'm talking about in the supernatural. Any other God, any other idol, any other false religion, any other of those things, they don't care. That's not the truth. The true God is the one who cares about us. The good shepherd is the one who really cares about us. And when we exchange the truth of God for a lie and when we put something else in its place, we're putting the hired hand in. The hired hand and expecting the hired hand to come up with the same goods that God will come up with. And we set ourselves up for failure. And we cast off restraint and we turn our backs on wisdom. Jesus said that he sacrificed his life so that we might know him and, in, and the Father, the way they know each other. It was for relationship that Jesus bled and died. If you don't remember anything else this morning, it was for relationship that Jesus bled and died. And when you bleed, you, your life flows out of you. The Bible says the life is in the blood. When you bleed, your life flows out of you. And many of us, are, our lives are hemorrhaging into other things, into things that we've set up for ourselves. Um, And we don't have that relationship that we need to have with God. If we don't have relationship, all we've got is belief and commitment. And that's not what he died for. When we're not living the truth of the word of God as the sheep, we're putting ourselves outside the protection of the shepherd. The shepherd has a fold. And God has put perimeters and boundaries around us to keep us safe. Not to restrict our lives, but to keep us safe and to enable us to fulfil his purpose in us. No one lays down their life for something that they don't value. Jesus would not have laid down his life if we weren't of the greatest value to him. God highly prizes relationships with people and he would not have died, would he? If we didn't matter to him, we matter to him. People matter to God. We matter so much to him that he was willing to give his life for that relationship. If we never really learn to distinguish God's voice from other voices, and there are many, many other voices in this world that will clamour for our attention. If we don't learn to distinguish every other every sorry, if we don't learn to distinguish God's voice, then we'll be responding to the voice of the thief. And the thief only comes to kill, rob and destroy. The thief doesn't come to, to, um, to give you life. He comes to delude you. He comes to tempt you. He comes to lure you away from things that bring life. 
He comes to destroy you. We have to learn to understand and to know the voice of the shepherd so that when the shepherd speaks, we respond. And so we learn not to respond to the voice of the thief. Could you guys come back, please? Jesus has promised us abundant life, but we'll never enter into the life that he longs for, for us, unless we know him. When we exchange the truth of God for a lie, we sacrifice our lives to the wolves. I want to challenge you this morning, church. We know that God is doing something in this place. We know that God has brought us to this place for such a time as this. When I looked at the um, video of the session that we're going to have in the Churchill Theatre, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited to hear that man. That man has got something on his life that we need to hear. We're not doing this so we can have a fun event. We're doing this because that man has got something we need to hear. And we need to come together so that we can hear that voice, hear what God is saying to us. I want to challenge you this morning. Whose voice are you hearing? Whose voice is loudest in your life? How much do you know him? How much do you want to know him? Have you got a desire? It's very easy to lose your desire for the knowledge of God and for understanding and relationship with God. And you might be in that place this morning where you've been a believer for years and years and years, but something's just kind of gone cold. Something's just kind of moved away. And you're going to miss out on what God is doing. And we want everyone in this place to be a part of what God is doing and what God has planned for us. And I just want you to think about it, meditate on it. Where am I? On a scale of one to ten. Where am I in my knowledge of God and my knowing of him than I was a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? Am I moving on in my knowledge of God? Do I understand him more? Does my desire for him increase more and more? God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. So there's an emphasis on us, an onus on us to draw near to God, to know him more so that we can know him Amazing. We can know him in the same way that he knows the Father. Amen.